Thank you so much for the nice introduction. I appreciate it. It's wonderful to be here with all of you. And I'm going to read you some new poems and a uh, new lyric essay tonight. Um, and I'm going to read you a very new poem that I wrote recently as well. So the first poem is called, I Never Have Stockholm Syndrome in Stockholm. For those of you who aren't familiar with what Stockholm Syndrome is, it's when somebody falls in love with a violent captor. And um, so, because I'm never in Stockholm, I'm always here, right at the US-Canadian border when I have it, which is now, which means I must still be in love with you, which means we are being walled in by what is being walled out. The psychosexual dance of American citizenship, where love is hate and hate is love. When you grow up thinking abuse is love, it's hard to unlearn. It's called Stockholm Syndrome because in Stockholm, big robbers held hostages who eventually wouldn't leave them because they'd fallen in love. I take Bikram Yoga because the internet says it will help me with Stockholm Syndrome. Who wants to love you anyway? I didn't know I was so weak because I do warrior pose all the time. In Bikram yoga, it's 105 degrees in the room. Feel bone against skin. Turns out Mr. Bikram is a sex warden too. Yet Stockholm syndrome doesn't make me feel cold. It only makes me ponder Brecht and Ceylon's argument. Is it right to write about love during wartime or now? What is the fall of empire anyway? probably has something to do with sex and authority. I'm always in Stockholm with you. I use one extreme to delete another. You take the thing I want most and make me feel guilty for not being able to bear more children. No lingonberries for me. I see Tampax and cry. They are the pure snow in Stockholm. Lately, the political is the language of domestic violence. Such background music. When you waltz or samba me, I'm in Stockholm with you. My infertility, a weapon in your arsenal. You left saying, maybe I don't want a baby after all. And I cry slow tears because when I see a baby snugly wrapped against her mother on a walk, I also know they keep flying babies away from their refugee mothers. And at bedtime, I binge watch The Handmaid's Tale and my teenage son asks, mom, is it a historical documentary? The next one I'm gonna read is called Some Girls Write a Fearless and Moral Inventory. It's um, based on a Mick Jagger, Keith Reynolds song. There'll be some um, repetition of the word some girls. Uh, what the epigraph in the poem is, some girls give me children I never asked them for. I only made love to her once, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards. Also, I mentioned um, William Steig's children's book, Sylvester and the Magic Pebble, if any of you are familiar with that. You don't have to be to understand the poem, but. One, some girls want horses, credit cards, drunk nights on empty golf courses. Some girls want forbidden lipsticks, pierced ears. Some girls listen to the stones, some girls listen to the dead. In 1981, some girls get pregnant listening to songs that get in their head. 
Some girls want babies because they have no luck. Some girls are the type Mick Jagger wants to fuck. Some girls want straight A's and homecoming dates. Some girls get told they are selfish if they don't wash their brother's clothes, shuck the corn, or become high rate. Some girls is a racist song, sexist all along. I was a some girl. I was selfish for babies, selfish for unconditional love, crazy for baby smell, beating heart, baby head with fuzz. Selfish for the milk stink of them, the hum and vibe of their rooting, the perfection of their strange seashell ears, the new car smell of their baby souls. I am selfish for my pregnant oceanic belly and its creamy swell. Some girls just want new starts. I have been a some girl who grew up in an apartment where a woman's place was in the house and in the Senate and not in the delivery room. My mother was not a some girl. She frowned upon babies with or without sun hats in public or private, mostly in restaurants and on planes. At 15, a baby meant I was here, longer lasting than my signature on the bathroom stall wall where we smoked weed. Boys thrilled me. I loved biology. DNA was a mysterious graffiti inside me. Submerged in adolescence, we were floating Ophelia's whose gym teacher beseeched that when we dreamt of water, it meant we were dreaming of sex. Whatever Freud said, he was not a some girl doing Jane Fonda workouts, a sanitary pad lumping the crotch of leotard. The erotic self lost on a trip to a dissociative state, never found in baggage claim. I lived outside the outline of my body by three inches. God was a broadband strip around my head directing my haughty will. My will heavy like a rock at the bottom of the sea made out of the fossils of a whale that swam millions of years ago, swam in consciousness, swam in unconsciousness. My mother slept with other women. Once I walked in, silences. My father pinched some girls' bottoms, mostly secretaries, once I walked in, laughter. I was scared of hell's angels, fire, bums who peed on our building, a book called Go Ask Alice. I immersed myself in the pool of fuck you all, a baptism of zoned out living. Inside that ritual, a weird penchant for 17 magazines, royal blue eyeliner, daddy's attention, Morality was broadcast by my commie grandparents as a penance for Republicans, the moral majority, PTA mothers, and junior league women whose ponytails were clearly too tight with gingham grass-grain ribbon, whose tennis shoes laced up with vigor over their pom-pom head ankle shorty socks. My some girl best friend had just become a vegetarian. We were going to law school someday to make the world safe against locker searches and having to say the pledge. Then came pictures from her church group of aborted fetuses. Look, she shrilled. It was before Photoshop existed, which meant we believed everything we saw. In this photo, a hairless nest of mashed up marsupials eyed me. She didn't try to save my soul, only pinned her Mick, I like it, button on her fair isle sweater 
like a generation earlier of girls pinned virginity circles on their twin sets. There are many kinds of selfishness and self-seeking. Most stem from the will's use of desire and desire's use of the will. Those seven deadlies of lust, avarice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But my selfishness has nothing to do with words on a list, but everything to do with words on, not on a list, emptiness and nothingness. I didn't know I was a prayer floating through string physics and desire. In a picture where I am 15, sitting between my cousins squished on a large beach chair, I'm pregnant and I don't know it yet. Lovely big bosoms, healthy shampoo, commercial girl glow. I am next to my cousin with her thick Russian novel, impenetrable black hair. The other cousin with her ticking time bomb in her brain. As I radiated pure angelic vibes from the Allen Ginsberg poem I was memorizing. Our grandfather called us his bathing beauties, new Americans who were going to college no matter what. Teenage motherhood was verboten, trashy some girlhood that I was not allowed. In 1981, there was the doomsday clock, my father's international house of girlfriends, a baby hunger, a spiritual hunger, where I followed the wrong spiritus, like cocaine. I snorted the syllabus of Cold War era girlhood, the lovely booze I bamboozled from whomever I could. The vanilla sex that made that zygote was written in my sex inventory, where I detailed how my relationship to sex had been selfish and self-seeking, dishonest and afraid. As per a magical book written by an old white womanizing stockbroker in the 1930s. I made a separate list for the sex I never asked for and made it a burnt offering. Then I stashed the rest of the list in a box and duct taped it shut. One day, my place robbed, the box slashed. My red folder with the words inventory written in block letters was neatly laid on top of my Laura Ashley comforter from TJ Maxx. Some anonymous burglar, my priest, my rabbi, scrutinized my sex inventory like the book of life, laid the tomb on the altar of my Sealy Pedic. Two, some girls lie for attention or because they are pretty sociopaths. I was not a some girl who lied to anyone but myself. Back then I was a some girl who one autumn afternoon did cocaine deep into the mid morning of school skipping deep into the woods with a much older couple who had just left the abortion clinic too. Back then I didn't know drugs were a kind of dishonesty, but right now I might, not, I might be lying, not realizing lying like a silk sheet on a crab-infested mattress. I lied before the abortion, before we were sitting in the woods behind the abortion clinic snorting cocaine, my apartment building superintendent and hippie mistress. Forgive me if I don't remember something incorrect. Forgive me if I don't remember something correctly. It's not necessarily dishonesty or poetic license. Some girls tell the truth of events in chronology, some girls tell the truth in metaphor. Some, with the, some girls tell the truth with a capital T. Is disassociation a kind of dishonesty so we don't have to feel things or recall them in totality? Here is a lie from 1981. I was not 16. 
I told the nurse of the laughing gas I was 16. She tucked me in, bedded down on the examining table, feet up in stirrups to ride to the other side, the mask upon me. In the post-procedure room, I continued singing an opera of screaming and crying. The post-procedure room was beige and white striped with six vinyl recliners, three facing three like a train to hell. There may have been a fern in there too. A clock ticked. It had black hands and a white face, no numbers, only dots. For all I remember, it might have said two minutes to midnight. The apartment superintendent's mistress was staring at me as if I was a wall. She was twice my age, wearing turquoise earrings, braids, and her earrings were blue songbirds, and the daisies on our matching abortion johnnies reached up toward my neck. Our little blue slipper socks were mice, droplets of blood on the hind quarter. We were like sisters in our matching Christmas pajamas, full of ennui, worse than Santa Claus bringing coal for the naughty. She said everything would be okay, even though nothing was ever going to be okay, and that was going to have to be okay. Those were red stains, red as Virginia cherries. I cannot tell a lie. My cherry thrashed and suctioned. My boyfriend waited with his moped keys and red helmet. No one had told us not to ride a moped to an abortion. The super and his mistress loaded us all into his old cutlass. My eyes locked with the super's eyes and understood silence or you're dead. This is why he shared his cocaine with us in the woods. His coke was his hush money. He was creepy with long, dirty blonde hair, a black Led Zeppelin t-shirt. I babysat his kids. I was 95 pounds small and getting smaller. Psychic blood sprayed all over the walls of my memory with each snort. No memory could see out. I began to understand the super was a dealer, the mistress was an artist, and my boyfriend was the ruling class. I hated myself with the conviction of a nun. I began to know this. The sun went down quickly on all my passing realizations. It was autumn. It smelled of earth's humus, of leaves and dried buds. Three, fear can turn you to stone and then you have to sit heavy upon the earth. Survival requires we sacrifice needs for a higher order of consciousness. I made the self the center of my decisions, much like a donkey in a child's book I like to read still at 15, William Stagg, Sylvester and the Magic Pebble. Fear got Sylvester into binds. It is said that fear is false evidence appearing real. Sylvester found a magical pebble that granted his wishes. Through the mishap of speech and thought, Sylvester became a rock and the magic pebble fell off him and no one could find him. He needed the pebble to wish himself back into donkey form. Fear teaches us all a lesson in the consequences of real self. Sylvester got to experience rock consciousness. In 1981, however, I was a some girl that imagined that huge rocks and boulders had once been whales and that was how they held consciousness. My cousin from my favorite photograph suggested I'd been to too many dead shows when I told her I believed that boulders in the woods had once been whales millions of years ago. I thought it might be true that these whales of the ancient world had helped to sing our world into existence. I believed the center of the world was a secret place where whales convened with God. I was a some girl who had also 
heard on a nature program, there are times of year when whales travel across the world and human sonars actually lose them and we don't know where they are. The center of the world is made of imagination and matter as thick and true as blood and the whales hang out there and dream us into being. Socrates would say that while Sylvester's pebble gave him the means by which to do good, it did not supply him with the knowledge of what good is. That too was my dilemma. I did not want to be part of the moral majority, but I did not think the womb invasion was nothing. Even if my zygote was like a rock, it might have a voice trapped inside it, like Sylvester the donkey trapped inside the rock. I was a some girl who could never reconcile consciousness with brain activity. Was a fetus not part of humanity because before 33 weeks it has no brain activity? Didn't all matter have mental properties? In the end, maybe it comes down to the narrative itself of which this is a part. Where is the shadow life that never lived? Where does glimmer go? I made a decision to create a different narrative. I had made myself the center of this decision, not for myself, but for fear of all other selves living and unborn. I was haunted by their voices mimicking the birds that flew overhead. Maybe it was the cocaine that made me think of Sylvester and the magic pebble that day in the woods behind the clinic. Those were average Hudson River Valley rocks and boulders we sat upon. I considered the rock I was sitting on might be communicating with me. The philosopher Swedenborg once said, every man immediately after death comes into universal language. I was afraid that the rocks like my fetus might have been ensouled. Who knows how old the rocks were exactly? Old enough for souls, I'm sure. It used to be in the old days of abortion, you might try swallowing lie and die, or the abortionist would require you fuck him before he would proceed. Now people were starting to bomb and picket abortion clinics. Now people were hooting and hollering at people entering the clinic, holding up placards that said baby killers. Some started throwing red paint. A murderer, pale from cocaine, I saw myself in the mistress's makeup mirror we were snorting from. I understood the telepathy of the unborn. The rocks were singing like whales and only I could hear their low hum. What had I done? I was going to law school to work for the ACLU. I was going to Grand Central Terminal on my way to visit my father and get groped on the platform again. I was going to be Gloria Steinem. What had I done? I was a some girl in need of a magic pebble. But some girls turn to stone and don't have pebbles to make wishes that turn them back into girls. Some girls fear the oncoming night. Some girls feared riding in the back of the super's car into the black autumn. The sounds of the unborn like whales, only certain some girls could hear. Okay, here's a short ode, it's called Ode to Saturday Night. In the still silence of Saturday night, I let the mess of house keep floating unattended. Dust curls up like rabbits in corners, paint peels like clementine rind. All objects out on good behavior, sorting themselves into new patterns. 
Whatever I scraped off this old layer of paint from clabbered, another idea remains. Someone else's strokes of bristle hairbrush, forgotten sun. Evening turns the sunset inside out. At night, I take stock of all that's left undone. There is still so much space to live into, as if moving into a pre-war apartment with high ceilings, going from room across the ocean. Tonight is tripping into Sunday bows its head reverently to believing still there will be more. For I believe in the fallacy of Saturday night and the expansion of the universe itself and how the sleeping lovers exhale the scent of chestnut trees. And inside this cavalier rest is a synapse where awe unfurls waiting to be worshiped. Thank you.